Modern Murders covers topics that may not be suitable for young children. Listener discretion is advised. Sources for our episodes can be found in the show notes. Photos relating to the episode can be found on our Twitter at Modern Murders. Welcome to Modern Murders. I'm your host, Ariel. This episode does not have any special disclaimers and is going to be one of the shorter of the episodes. Daniel Harris was born on January 12, 1987, in Northampton, Massachusetts, to parents Jacqueline and Kevin Harris. He has two sisters and three brothers, making the Harris family a very large and close-knit group. I found this interesting because I think all of the family members were actually deaf, including Daniel. Daniel attended and graduated from the American School for the Deaf in Hartford, Connecticut in 2006. Daniel was a relatively slender man who was also very athletic. While in school, he played basketball, track, and soccer. After graduation, he went to attend Gallaudet University and then the National Technical Institute for the Deaf. I am sorry if I mispronounced the Gallaudet University. In college, Daniel studied sign language and English interpretation, as well as mathematics. Some of Daniel's hobbies included video games and card games. He competed in Yu-Gi-Oh! local tournaments. So at the time of this event, Daniel was 29 and he had a four-year-old son with his wife. There are medical records that show Daniel struggled with mental health in his life, and this ultimately led to a seven-year treatment at a facility in Florida. I wasn't able to find if this was an inpatient or outpatient therapy, and I bring this up now because this will come into context for Daniel's behavior during the events of what I'm about to talk about. And I don't really know how I feel about this case. Like always, I'll present the information I have with my own opinion. If you don't agree, then I totally understand. But this is the first case I have done where I am on the fence, though I may waver back and forth between certain parts of the story that I do agree with and some parts that I don't agree with. When I first started reading the articles, I had an immediate gut reaction and and emotional response to reading them, but the more articles I started to read and the more context to the story I had, my opinion started to change. This story starts out on Thursday, August 18th, 2016 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Daniel was in a relatively good mood this day because he just got a new job and he had just started his new job. He was driving his blue Volvo down Interstate 485, heading home from work, and was noticed by witnesses to be speeding on the highway. It was about 6 p.m., so still enough daylight outside for people to get a really good view and visual of Daniel driving the car. One witness described him speeding by and making playful gestures. I'm not really sure what this means. Maybe he was making goofy faces at people while he was driving by. Maybe he was dancing in his car. I have no idea what this meant by making playful gestures. Another witness said his behavior looked like he was batshit crazy. A witness referred to as witness number eight went home later that day and told their wife saying that this guy was, quote, on a mission to die, end quote. 
Other witnesses described Daniel driving at around 100 miles per hour on the I-485 and switching in and out of lanes. While this is going on, State Trooper Jermaine Justice Saunders is working his 3-12 to shift when he spots Daniel speeding 88 miles per hour in a 70 miles per hour zone. Can I just point out that the middle name Justice... I realized this when I was doing research, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he probably has a dad in law enforcement, but I didn't really look into this, so I'm not sure where or who decided to put his middle name as Justice, but I find it really kind of the opposite of when people say that Danger is my middle name, so I don't know if he uses that a lot, but I can imagine that's probably what his parents were hoping he would do with it. So Officer Saunders radioed in a 1061 of a suspicious vehicle. He was in his uniform and in his marked car while on duty. He turned on his lights and siren to pursue Daniel on the freeway, and when Officer Saunders catches up to Daniel's car, Daniel refuses to pull over. At this time, it isn't really known if Daniel is distracted with driving that he doesn't see the lights. Because he's deaf, the sirens wouldn't have caught his attention. So if he was looking down or if he was, you know, dancing in his car, when it's clear to Officer Saunders that he's not going to pull over, he radioed in a 1043 for a vehicle chase and attempts to make a pit maneuver. A pit maneuver means a precision immobilization technique, and this is often depicted in movies where the nose of the police car hits the back corner of the suspect's car, and this results in the suspect's car being spun out. This first maneuver was unsuccessful on the freeway at spinning Daniel's car, and it's when Daniel took an off-ramp where Officer Saunders attempted to make another pit maneuver, and he was successful at getting Daniel to kind of lose control, and Daniel didn't spin out the car, I don't think, entirely. He just kind of, like, went onto a grassy area of the off-ramp, and his car stalled there. When Daniel's car stalled, Officer Saunders pulled up and stopped perpendicular to the driver's side of Daniel's car. Two witnesses had followed the car chase to help out Saunders if he needed it. These witnesses would later continue to follow the chase up until Daniel gets home, I don't think that both of them followed. I think only one of them did. But I thought this was really interesting that that two people would see a car chase and just kind of follow it and and stop when uh, the other vehicle stopped. The Volvo that Daniel was driving was really damaged at this point. The car looked like it had been in a car accident. That's how damaged it was. There were tires that were blown out. There were parts of the car that had either come off, like the muffler was later found along this path, and some of the pieces of the bumper and the fender were just barely hanging on. His license plate was found detached from his car at this point. There was just a lot of damage, and I'm not surprised that the car stalled. So when Officer Saunders got out of his car, he ordered Daniel out of the car. Again, Daniel wouldn't have known what was being said to him, but it's obvious, at least to me at this point, that Daniel understands that he's being pursued by police. It seems like with the cop car and him being an officer, it's kind of hard to say that Daniel didn't know what was going on, because in later in videos, you can kind of see 
that it would be hard to miss. And I'm not really sure if maybe the witnesses that were following the scene maybe spooked Daniel because I think one of the witnesses' cars was a really large truck. So I'm not quite sure if he thought that the truck was following him and, and just didn't pay notice to the police car and just only notice the witnesses' car. But it's really hard to say because he didn't motion anything. He just decided to sit in the car and not get out. And so Saunders had his service weapon drawn and he was able to tap on Daniel's window. I think this was kind of like the back window to order him out of the car. And this is when Daniel reached over to grab something and Saunders probably thought he was grabbing a gun. So he backed off the car thinking he was grabbing a gun and retreated back to his service car. Daniel instead started the car and sped off again. I'm actually surprised that the car started. Uh, This is a testament to Volvos. They never die. Um, So he started the car, sped off again, and Saunders got back in his car, which he was already kind of close to it anyway. So he was able to get in real quick and pursue the chase. The witnesses, again, were uh, in their car at this point. They never got out. So they decided to follow. I think one of them decided to follow the chase and continue because it's later known that he had a dash cam. And that's probably why he felt that he should be there because his car had the dash cam recording. And that's why I was able to figure out exactly where the police car was in terms of when Daniel's car was stalled. It's important also to note here that Officer Saunders' squad car did not have a dash cam. So if the witness had not been there, there would be a lot of the story that, or probably the entire story, that would have been just solely up to witnesses and Saunders' uh, statement. But the fact that we had like a little piece of dash cam footage kind of showed the the full damage of the car at this point in the chase, and that uh, Daniel started the car and left again. One of the witnesses that had stopped, probably the one with the dash cam, uh, but I wasn't able to confirm this, he was formally in law enforcement as an officer. The pursuit continued in the direction of Daniel's home, and he was still driving erratically since his car was so damaged. Again, there was a trail of car parts, and two of his tires at this point were blown out. So he was having a hard time keeping control of the car, and he was kind of just swaying side to side in the car while he was trying to drive down the road. He actually almost hit a pedestrian because he was driving so erratically. The pedestrian was able to see him coming down the road and they were able to get far enough away from his path to not really be in any danger. But I can imagine that had they not been paying attention or, you know, maybe had their earbuds in listening to music, they may not have seen or heard him. And that could have been really, really bad. So I'm happy that the pedestrian was able to get out of the way and this pedestrian was later going to be a witness to the events. The pedestrian would later be interviewed by police. So Daniel turned onto his street where he lived and he stopped his car just outside his home on Seven Oaks Drive. Officer Saunders stopped behind his car with a couple feet distance. I would say a several feet distance. There was probably maybe seven feet of a difference between the cars. And Saunders got out of his car with his door open and his gun drawn to order Daniel out of his car. Now, there is no footage of these next events because I'm not sure if the witness was able to catch up in time. This all happened so fast, so I'm not sure if they were able to actually get footage of all of these things that are about to go down. 
This is a combination of what Saunders said and what some of the witnesses in the neighborhood either heard or saw from a distance. Nobody was very close to the events that happened. I feel like most of them were probably in their houses at this point because it happened all so quickly that people probably didn't have time to come out. So when Daniel gets out of his car, he has his keys in his hands. His keychain has a uh, carabiner on it, and it was most likely wrapped around his fingers. I hold my keys this way with the carabiner around the ring finger and the finger that you use to flip people off. Um, but those two fingers, I usually have the carabiner kind of wrapped around them so I have a better grip. I'm just assuming here that that's the way Daniel was holding them. He could have very well just hold them in a, in a fist the way that some people hold their keys. But however he was holding them, the officer saw that he had a metal object in his hand. It was probably the, the carabiner that he saw. And some reports say that when Daniel was getting out of his car, he was attempting to use sign language to communicate to Officer Saunders that he was deaf. Officer Saunders says that Daniel ran towards him and seeing the metal from his keys, Saunders wasn't sure if it was a weapon. Some witnesses say that Daniel ran towards Saunders, screaming with his hands up. I would imagine that maybe he was surrendering, but I would imagine that maybe he was surrendering, but he wasn't aware that it was intimidating behavior to the officer. The witnesses who said he was screaming with his hands up was one of the cars following the pursuit who likely caught up to the pursuit. I'm not sure at this point if this is the car with the dash cam because I was not able to find any dash cam footage or any footage or recording of what happened right after. The witness who pulled up, he didn't know Daniel personally or live in the neighborhood. The reason I bring this up is because sometimes deaf people can be misinterpreted by the sounds that they make. It may come off as yelling to someone who is not familiar with the deaf community. In this case, I'm not sure if the witness meant actual screaming like someone would if they were scared or in danger, or if Daniel was attempting to communicate to Officer Saunders that he was deaf and was doing so very loudly. It's also disputed if Daniel either sprinted, charged, or walked quickly toward Saunders, but Daniel was shot once while he was trying to do so. This all happened in a matter of seconds after Daniel got out of his car. Some would argue that the shot was made too quickly. A witness and neighbor later said, quote, They should have de-escalated and been trained to realize that this is an entirely different situation, end quote. Witnesses in the neighborhood say they heard the commotion and then heard a shot. Just minutes after the shooting, another officer arrived on the scene, this time with a dash cam on his car. So after Daniel was shot, then the events were recorded. Daniel died very quickly on the street right outside his home. An autopsy would later show that he died from the bullet hitting his right lung, his liver, his heart, and his kidney. His body toxicology report showed no signs of drugs or alcohol in his system. The North Carolina SBI interviewed Officer Saunders on August 23, 2016. An investigation and report was made to answer this one determination about the shooting, whether it reasonably appeared that deadly force was necessary. Daniel's family members questioned why deadly force was used and whether there was an attempt to try to assess the situation. Officer Saunders did not have the means to use non-deadly force because his service taser 
was not on him that day. It wasn't a matter of him forgetting his taser, but the taser was being analyzed in relation to another case. I'm not sure about the details of that other case or why the taser needed to be analyzed. Officer Saunders did not have a dash cam on his car nor a body cam on him, so this report was made based on his interview along with the witness interviews and the footage from the witness dash cam and the second officer's dash cam when arriving to the scene. Wreckage from the 14-mile chase, some reported 7-mile chase, was also collected with pieces of the tires, a muffler was found, and there were conflicting statements from other witnesses and initial reports. Some of the witnesses recall Officer Saunders saying he could not see what was in Daniel's hand, and then he later stated that he thought he saw a metal object in Daniel's hand. While investigating this case, a few problems in Daniel's history came up. I had mentioned his seven-year psychiatric treatment, and this was brought up during the investigation. In 2015, Daniel was arrested in Kansas for fleeing a traffic stop, and prior to this, he had another incident where he resisted an officer in 2010 in Connecticut. No charges were brought against Officer Saunders. Daniel's family set up a fundraiser to help pay for his funeral services. His family also spoke out about the lack of training that officers have when dealing in this type of situation involving a deaf person. At the time of Daniel's killing, the DMV has a database that alerts officers when they run someone's ID, such as their driver's license, but there is no alert system for when they run a license plate that is registered. This is something that his family wanted to push to have done because if somebody has a disability or if somebody has some sort of, you know, uh, impairment, the officer would need to know that when approaching. There is basic law enforcement training when dealing with a deaf person. It's unlikely that Officer Saunders used this training knowledge when he interacted with Daniel, and it may not be something that he had ever encountered before. This may be his first time being involved with someone who was deaf, so even though he had the training, I'm not sure how frequently he used it. So here's where I have some issues with the case. I am against officers using deadly force so quickly. And I do feel like it was used rather hastily in this situation. The witnesses, such as the neighbor, would agree that there was a lack of an attempt to assess what the situation was before the shot was fired. On the other hand, some of the witnesses saw Daniel behaving and driving erratically. Some could say that he was a danger to the community by almost hitting a pedestrian. And some would say that he was disobeying police orders. Even if you gave him the benefit of the doubt the first time when he didn't pull over, it's really hard to know what was going through his head when his car, you know, spun out. It's just hard to understand why somebody would continue a, a car chase. They just got a job. They're really happy about that job. I would imagine getting arrested would probably impact them, but if you're just getting a speeding ticket, that wouldn't make you lose your job. So I'm not quite sure why he decided to do what he did. This is very important context to the mental state that Officer Saunders was in when Daniel stopped his car and got out. I still think that more could have been done to de-escalate the situation, 
But if it is true that you don't know what's going on and someone is running towards you or even kind of charging towards you in a quick way, it forces you to make a decision very quickly. And I'm just wondering if maybe Officer Saunders did not was not given the opportunity to really assess the situation, depending on how Daniel was acting. When your adrenaline is pumping, sometimes time speeds up, sometimes it slows down. So I'm not sure if Saunders' adrenaline was pumping or if he was completely calm during this whole situation. Based on his story changing slightly from initial questions being asked to later, I'm going to assume that he was probably in an anxious state when he was first questioned by the police officer that came up on the scene. I wanted to cover this case because I first went into it thinking one way and coming out on the fence after doing some more research. The reason I went into defending Daniel first off is because encounters with law enforcement and other emergency personnel is a constant issue with the deaf community. In this case, I am not quite sure how it would have played out if, number one, if Officer Saunders had his taser on him that day, and number two, if Daniel had pulled over on the freeway before the pit maneuver. We can speculate what would have happened, but all we know is what did happen. I'm usually pretty hard on police officers using deadly force, and again, I don't think that deadly force should have been used in this situation, but that's all that Officer Saunders had. I don't know if he had his baton on him or if he had mace, but I would imagine that would have been better than shooting somebody in the heart. When I took American Sign Language in college, my professor told us about a story where she was pulled over and she had guns drawn on her. She was distracted while driving and didn't see the the lights and she didn't hear the sirens, obviously. So police thought that she was trying to evade police and pursue a car chase. So when they pulled her over and she stopped her car, realizing that she's being pulled over, they had no idea if she was going to resist or if she was going to be a danger. It was a complete misunderstanding that could have gone terribly wrong had she not been quick on her feet and careful about the gestures that she made. She told us that when you're deaf, the gestures that you make, you have to be very aware about the people that you're making them to because you never know how somebody's going to interpret them. I don't know if this event was why she ended up having a cochlear implant. I know that she was telling us the controversy of having an implant. If you're in the deaf community, people are pro-implant, people are sometimes against it. But she did have one at the time I was taking ASL, and I'm not sure if maybe this close encounter uh, was the reason why she ended up getting it. And I was pretty surprised when she was telling this story that she said it was one of the stories in her life that really, really scared her. She's one of the toughest women that I've ever met, and she has the craziest stories. So saying that this event scared her really meant a lot in comparison to what else she has gone through. She explained to us how using sign language can sometimes be misinterpreted and that sometimes it can be misinterpreted as either gang signs or attempting to be aggressive, like like trying to hit somebody. Um, I can kind of see the gang sign, maybe. I don't know. That kind of seems like I don't know how many gang signs attempt to show that much complexity. 
attempting to hit somebody, I, I think that maybe some gestures could be like that. I know that some of them might look aggressive, maybe. But again, it's kind of a stretch. I feel like you would probably have to already have like some sort of heightened adrenaline or some type of situation that would make you over-assume what was going on. And I don't know if this played a part in Daniel's situation. I don't see how he would have gotten all the way home not knowing that he was being pursued by a marked police car, especially since his car was struck multiple times and there was a moment where his car stalled. It's hard to know what Daniel's mental state was either during this time. He had no drugs in his system, and he was described by family as being happy because of his new job. This was a very unfortunate situation. Again, we only know what happened. We don't know what could have happened, but I feel really bad for his family. And when they were being interviewed by news media, they were just so hurt over this. It was such a big loss to their family. It was such a close family. They did everything together, and... It just, it always hits me when I hear stories about this where it only took seconds to fire just one fatal shot. I don't know what would have happened maybe if he was shot in the leg. I know that officers are trained to shoot to kill, but it just seems really unfortunate that he wasn't given maybe 30 more seconds to assess the situation. And I'm talking about Officer Saunders in this case. And unfortunately for Daniel to try and, you know, do something to make the situation better. If he was trying to sign to the officer, maybe he was signing quickly and frantically. I know that sometimes sign language can look weird to people if they don't understand it. But I feel like after a while you kind of pick up like, oh, this guy's trying to, you know, sign to me or do something he can't hear. Um, So I I feel like, you know, maybe if he had gotten 30 more seconds, that would have been established and maybe the officer would have had more motioning hand signals to get down. So I'm curious how other people will react to this story. Let me know what you think by contacting me on Twitter or by emailing me. My Twitter handle is at Modern Murders. My email is modernmurders at yahoo.com. Unfortunately, I no longer have the Facebook. I haven't had that for a while up for the uh, discussion group, but I decided to get rid of my personal Facebook. So I am completely off of Facebook right now. I do still have my website up. So that's where all of my resources and photos of Daniel and the uh, damaged car. I'm going to post those on my blog so you can check them out there. It's uh, I'll put the website link in my show notes. And I hope everybody's having a great year. Uh, This year is getting crazier and crazier every time I record. So hopefully by the next time I record, we will not be in a full-on World War III anarchy. So (laughs) I I have no idea what's going to happen next week. Um, I'm recording this on what is today. Today's the 12th. So uh, we have eight more days for hell to break loose. (laughs) 